Hello and welcome to Kids Stuff, a Chucky podcast, a Haunted MTL original podcast. I'm your host, David Davis, and my guest this week is my close friend and my enabler, Kevin Heyman. I'll take it. Hi, David. How you doing, buddy? Hi, Kevin. I'm doing well. Good. What, you, what have you been up to? Uh, I saw a fantastic movie today uh, called Child's Play. Interesting, because that's the whole reason we're here right now. Fantastic. I'm happy to hear it. Let's let's get into it. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for being my first guest. Um, you know, well, this is welcome. just a weird it's just a weird little idea I had. So what I'd like to do is talk a little bit about the point of this podcast because, you know, all podcasts need to have a point or else it's the Joe Rogan experiment. Yeah. <laughs> Good so, point. Yeah. Um, so this podcast is kind of a little experiment for me. As um, as you are well aware, I'm a frequent guest over on your own podcast, Supernatural Selections. Yes. Um, and I've really been enjoying the process of doing podcasts. It's been a lot of fun. And I've wanted to do one for myself for a long time. It's just I never really had quite an angle to go for. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this is a little experiment for me. I cover all types of horror over at Haunted MTL. I write uh, reviews. I do recaps of Joe Bob Briggs episode, uh, Joe Bob Briggs episodes, everything like that. And I was interested in covering the upcoming Chucky television show. Have you heard of that? I have, and uh, I've been. Kind of, here's the thing: I haven't been like a huge fan of the Child's Play series until more recently, and uh, now I'm really looking forward to the show. So, uh, yes, I am. I love the idea that there it's going to be continuing the mythos of the films. So, yeah, and it, it's interesting because there is this really interesting kind of chronology in the series. Um, and I've always had like a very close, or I, I, I'm not going to say like close personal relationship to Chucky, but the, <laughs> these, but the series has been like a part of my life even since I was a child, and I'll, I'll tell a little story about that later. But um, specifically, like, I recognize that the franchise has its problems, but as a whole, I can't think of a better way to spend a night. Just yesterday, uh, I watched Child's Play 1, 2, and 3 in preparation of this just for, just for fun. I just went one into the other. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's great. I mean, everybody's got uh, what I consider their comfort horror movies. Like, yeah, and you know, that makes a lot of sense, and for me, it would be like Child's Play. Yeah, like me, it would probably be something along the lines of uh, Dagon, or mm-hmm. something like that, something Lovecraft, uh, in, the, in the Mouth of Madness, actually, is my comfort horror movie, I think. Oh, so the, the John Carpenter, John Carpenter, uh, Sam, Neill Sam Neill, yes, I mean, it's full of humor, and it's also mm-hmm. terrifying in its own way, and it's the best Lovecraft movie that's not about Lovecraft. Oh yeah, it's like an absolutely perfect Lovecraftian film. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, like we have these kind of like horror movies that we connect to, and it may not even be horror, but there's something where it's like even if something is flawed, we're still super into it. Oh yeah, no, I mean there's a lot of movies that I love that are deeply deeply flawed, but I mean <laughs> they're fantastic. I mean I will always watch them if I find them on. You know, and one of those one of the things I wanted to do with this podcast, part of my approach to it, is I want to see what other people think about these movies. Like, I have my own feelings, I connect with them on a certain level, I have an attachment, but not everybody will. 
And the other thing is, as a writer, I love to like break down stories. I like to see how these things work. And I happen to know a bunch of people who, you know, write and tell stories. So I kind of want to bring them along for the ride and, and, you know, pick their brains regarding the series that I really love and yeah. see what their thoughts are. Well, I'm happy to be doing it because, honestly, I have not seen this movie since, geez, shortly after release. So I'm going into this with fairly fresh eyes. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of this. Well, and I really appreciate it. So the, the basic conceit is, like, um, I don't know how long this podcast is going to go on because I'm going to cover the movies. I may have a couple of one-off episodes, but specifically um, I want to look at each movie of the franchise and then I'm trying to figure out how I want to cover the TV show because while I will be reviewing the TV show... I don't know if I want to record an episode of this podcast for each episode of the TV show. Mm -hmm. So that's ultimately, I, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I think there's plenty of material to do a nice limited run uh, and then provided the, the show gets a second season, you know, I can continue it that way. But I sure. wanted something where I can really sink my teeth into a subject but not do like a weekly show, if that makes sense. Sure, and what I was just thinking is, um, and not to, you know, just throw the talking shop out there, but you could do like the original series, like one through three, as uh, a season, and then the Blank of Chucky movies as a season, and then you could do the uh, first season of the show as a season. Yeah, you know, so yeah. there's all sorts of things, there's and I'll, I'll be... Tons of yeah. ways. Yeah, and it's just kind of figuring out what works, what clicks. We'll mm -hmm. see what happens after this first episode. Sure. But um, but I think uh, I'm very excited about this project. I know that my wife and I were talking about doing something for Saw, which oh, uh, this is also kind of, yeah, this is kind of a way for me to kind of prepare for that as well. So you might be hearing me on a second podcast pretty soon. Very nice. Um, but, you know, I, I think as far as we go, uh, as far as things go, I think we have a pretty good idea of what this podcast is aspires to be and i think we should kind of dive into the episode itself what do you think sure i think that's a fantastic idea and let's roll with it all right so this episode our first episode is going to be about the original film in the series which was 1988's child's play yes so so before we dive in too much kevin i want our audience to get to know a little bit about you sure before we talk about the movie so, um, you know, one of the criteria for my guests on this show is that they are storytellers, they are writers. So what is your experience with storytelling and writing? What projects are you up to? Oh, what have you done? Oh, boy. Let's get into that for a second, shall we? Uh, first <laughs> off, I have been doing um, web comics for the last, like, 21 years. Long-form yeah. web comics. Not your gag-a-day stuff. So I'm all about long-form storytelling. Uh, I've also written yeah, probably four or five short films, three screenplays. Uh, I've produced, acted, directed, edited. I've done uh, the special effects on several films. Mm -hmm. And then now I'm doing the podcast because I don't have to show people my face. So, right. uh, <laughs> so yeah, and I know you personally have heard of my podcast, Supernatural Selection, which, of course, mm -hmm. is my oldest and dearest love, The Paranormal. So, And I absolutely love being on that podcast. And it's, like, it's a highlight whenever I'm on there. Well, thank you, and I love having you on there. You are such a good co-host. 
I appreciate that. And let's see how good I am as a host. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's always fun to learn whether you've got the chops or not. Yeah, and so far, the, uh, I don't know. So <laughs> let's uh You know what, We're, it's too early to judge, damn it, so let's move on. Th that's true. Yeah. i got to give myself a chance. Definitely. Um, okay, so here's my second question. Are you a fan of horror? I think it's fair to say I've become one. I, okay. As a child, I hated horror. Terrified me. I was one of those run in the other room and hide my eyes and cover my ears kind of kids. Mm. But as I've gotten older and I've seen the horrors that the world is made of, I've really come to love the genre in all of its forms. Mm -hmm. And I kind of blame H.P. Lovecraft for that. So, so Lovecraft was kind of your awakening into like the larger genre then? Yeah, and I guess in a way... Um, Hurricane Katrina was my awakening into horror because we didn't have power and I had just bought the complete works of H.P. Lovecraft and I had nothing oh. else to do other than to Fair enough. Then sit by a picture window and read everything he ever wrote for a week. And that's where everything changed. That's, that's when the cannibalism started. <laughs> <laughs> nice reference. Thank you. So, um... So yeah, like horror wasn't like something that you've been into your entire life. For me, uh, like I grew up with horror. I don't know why the fuck this happened, but my parents let me watch whatever horror movie I wanted as a small child. Yeah. And that's that's going to tie into this discussion on Child's Play because I have a funny story about that. Okay. Um, but before we get to any of that, I just have one more question and that was, um, you've kind of talked about it already, but what was your familiarity with the Chucky series beforehand? I freaking hated it. And the reason, and here's the thing, it was nothing mm -hmm. personal about the movies. I barely remember the first movie, but like the whole conceit of, man, it's a doll, just kick it, you know, <laughs> was, was like forefront in my mind. I'm like, it's a football attacking mm -hmm. you. You can get rid of this real easy. But when you get into the movie, and we'll get into this later, but like when you get mm -hmm. into the movie, that kind of goes out the window because you're dealing with it on its own level. Yeah, it's so, that whole idea of the suspension of disbelief. And and that's the thing. Now I can get, I'm really happy I saw it now in my latter years, my twilight years. Uh, I can go <laughs> back and watch these movies without as much cynicism. Now, now my question to you is, how many of the films have you seen? Oh, geez, probably one in three. Is three the one with the military academy? Yes. One in yes. three. Okay, so you've not seen, like... Okay, so the, the Andy Barkley story is... Uh, the storyline is in the first three films, uh -huh. and then it kind of focuses on Chucky for the remainder. Yeah. Um, I'm going to so go back and not... watch all of them. I am I okay. am straight up down. I'm going to be watching all of them again in the next month, mm -hmm. so... Okay. So, um, if you have the Sci-Fi Channel, and this is for listeners as well, because they are preparing for the... Uh, upcoming tv show which starts next month um they do have all of the movies on sci-fi that's awesome yeah they're sci-fi apps so uh that's how i'm kind of like catching up with everything but you'll see that the the series kind of transitions from being about andy to being about chucky which it, it has its issues and we'll talk I'll, I'll definitely talk about that as i go through this podcast but um I just, I just keep in mind that, like, the, the focus kind of changes up and the tone changes up. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, I, I mean, that's... it. Part of the thing is I feel like a series that runs this long 
eventually kind of finds its footing, even if it's not the original focus of the series. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies kind of became more of a camp comedy with the jokes and the crazy shit. Yeah, so. and, and Chucky kind of gets that way, but in the like the most recent three movies, um, it kind of it starts getting back to its roots a little bit. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we'll get into that. But, um, so I guess before we start talking about the movie and kind of talking about it from the craft of, like, storytelling, uh, I think we should talk a little bit about, like, the core people behind it. Please do. So, the first person I want to mention is the director, Tom Holland. And and I do not mean Spider-Man. And the first first thing I said when the credits started was, how old is this kid? (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's like, you know, typical uh, Hollywood teenager, the guy's in his 30s playing 18. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But no, that is not the same Tom Holland. Uh, This Tom Holland, he would be best known for uh, Psycho 2, which came out in 1983. Which I think that's a much maligned movie. I think all the Psycho movies uh, deserve more respect than than they get. I I definitely think Psycho 2 deserves a lot more respect. Mm -hmm. And he uh, he was known for writing that one. He didn't direct that one. um, I gotcha. And and the whole reason... um, Oh, who played Norman Bates? Oh, man. oh my God. Uh, I can't remember his name. He is also in the Black Hole. Yeah, you guys, Anthony Perkins. Anthony Perkins. Anthony Perkins. And he, like, the script is the whole reason Anthony Perkins came back as Norman Bates. is because he liked the script to Psycho 2 that much. And it's honestly a very good sequel. That's great. Yeah, it's, um, it really is. You know, and then Tom Holland's also known for writing, directing probably the most 1980s monster movie ever, which would be Fright Night. I have not seen that in so long. I gotta go back uh, and watch it. Yeah, uh, Fright Night's absolutely fantastic, and uh, he also wrote the 2011 remake, which was quite fun. Uh, if, if you've never seen Fright Night, um, let me put it to you this way. Imagine a teenager has a vampire move next door, so he goes to the cheesy TV horror host to help him kill that vampire. Which is amazing. Yes, it is. It is a fantastic movie. It's like one of the best '80s monsters mo- uh, monster movies out there. So yeah. it's definitely worth a watch. Yeah, I mean, um, basically, imagine if you went to Svengooli and asked for help. Yeah, and Svengooli's <laughs> like, "Okay, let's kill a vampire." <laughs> it's, it's it's just so ridiculous and fun. It and, is. Uh, I think you would get a real kick out of it. I think anyone who liked Child's Play would like it, and even people who don't like Child's Play, I think they would still like Fright Night. Yeah. It's a different animal, well, but it's definitely got the same material at its core. It's also definitely very funny as well, mm-hmm. which is what, you know, part of why Child's Play works is it's also very funny. Yeah. Um, and then he's also known for uh, directing two Stephen King adaptations, the Langoliers miniseries and the, the film Thinner. Okay, I'm going to stop you here for a second, because number one, the Langoliers is... Okay, it's not as good as The Stand, the miniseries of The Stand that they did back in the 90s, but it's still a decent Stephen King adaptation, you know? I love it. It I is know. like the weirdest thing, and I, I love mean, it. I mean, freaking Bronson Pinchot tearing the paper, talking about the Langoliers, and you got uh, Dean Stockwell on there as a Stephen King insert, and Thinner's just a great curse movie in general. Oh, yes. But yeah. what I kept saying to Gage while we were watching the movie and this makes total sense now, is Child's Play feels like a Stephen King adaptation of a book that he forgot to write. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, you know, Stephen King was, like, on Coke or something, watched that episode of The Twilight Zone, and was like, I could turn that into a movie. Yeah. Uh, 
and I, I'm kind of shocked we don't live in that version of the multiverse. <laughs> but I, I feel you're right about the whole Stephen King quality of uh-huh. that, and I think we'll be able to talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I kind of want to return to Tom Holland real quick. Um, because I, I feel like he's one of the more influential figures in horror that tends not to get brought up as much as he should. I kind of agree. There's there's definitely, looking at his career, it's worth uh, exploring his, you know, backlog of films, and uh, you're going to have a fun time. Yeah. I, I can't think of, like, a bad experience in his backlog of horror. Totally. As far as what Tom Holland has been up to recently, uh, he re- uh, he wrote the 2011 remake of Fright Night, which was re- really good. It had Colin Farrell as the vampire, and, which uh, worked out quite well. And David Tennant, and uh, I've got a copy of that sitting in the front room I'm going to watch uh, also this month. Yeah, it's it's definitely, um, you know, as far as like remakes go, you know, they did the right thing and they got the original guy to update it and it totally works. Awesome. Um he also wrote an episode of the criminally underrated anthology series Masters of Horror. Oh my god, you are not wrong on criminally underrated. That is such mm. an amazing series. Stuart Gordon did an episode based on Lovecraft's Dreams in the Witch House, and holy crap, is it great. I mean, like, it is probably the most faithful Lovecraft adaptation he ever did. Mm-hmm. In that it sticks to the story, and he still figured out how to have tits in it. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, it, it, like, uh, yeah that that episode, uh, dreams, uh, dreams in the witch house, absolutely fantastic. But like the whole, the whole series, the whole series has incredible talent attached. It to really, it really, um, I mean, like it, it's called Masters of Horror for a reason. Exactly. So you know, and I, I, I say that. Um, you know, Tom Holland here, he's definitely in there. I mean, he gave us uh, Child's Play, kind of kicked it off. Mm-hmm. Um, he's done some incredible stuff. So I, I felt like we need to mention him. Definitely. Uh, for sure. Definitely. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit about the writers, specifically one writer. So the screenplay was handled by Don Mancini, who's an important figure in all this, mm-hmm. John Lafia, mm-hmm. and Tom Holland, mm-hmm. but it was adapted from a story by Tom Mancini. Okay. Now... I, I'm probably going to end up giving Tom Mancini an episode of his own because um, he's still very much kind of leading the charge on the franchise, but he's a pretty notable component of why people know about Chucky. Um, he's like one of the few like openly gay writers of slasher horror, mm-hmm. and I think that kind of pervades the entire franchise. And I don't know if I'm qualified to talk about it in this episode, but I think just kind of exploring the queerness of Chucky is worth an episode on its own. I feel like that would be a great idea. Uh, I also love that, like, he's had the tiller the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like, this is his creation, yeah. and he has had his hand on the steering wheel for the... I, I mean, like, that is amazing. Do you know how hard that yeah. is to do in Hollywood? Yeah, it's like... Uh, I don't know if you would call it creator control because he n- didn't necessarily have like the control the all, the whole time, but, but he he's had the been influence. involved. Yeah, and that means um, a lot. And I think just kind of like reading up on him and understanding how that worked and how we get to this point where now there's going to be like a serialized Chucky TV show. Mm-hmm. I think I think he's worth an episode on his own. Definitely, and I'm looking forward but, yeah. to that. But yeah, as far as his connection to the franchise, written all seven of the films directed the most recent three, and he's the executive producer of the show. 
and uh, he'll I think he's directing at least a couple of the episodes. But it's that show, the fact that like, oh, my God, they are doing a Chucky show. This thing is still going on. <laughs> That's kind of the impetus for the podcast for me, because this is something that I've loved since I was a kid. And I'm trying to kind of get at why it seems to work. Yeah, no, I totally get that. And if I'm not mistaken, the last three films were the blank of Chucky movies, right? Um, So you had uh, Seed of Chucky. Then you had... Um, Bride of Chucky. No, no. Uh, Bride of Chucky came before that. Oh, I'm was, sorry. Okay. No, no, it's cool. Don't even worry about it. Um, But uh, Seed of Chucky. Then you had uh, Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky. Right. Um, and there's like a, we'll, we'll get to that in a, a future episode. I'm sure you'll be on for future episodes. Oh yeah, we'll, I'll at least be back hopefully for the, uh, remake episode because yeah, we I, are gonna talk I about enjoyed it. But yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, people would probably think that I'm like a Chucky purist, but I really liked the 2019 movie. Yeah. I thought it was a lot of fun. Definitely. So... Those are kind of like the behind-the-scenes personalities I want to focus on throughout the series. But um, one thing I want to talk about is the cast and how oh, good yes. the, the cast of this first movie is. It wouldn't That first movie, if it had not had this cast, it would not have worked. Right. So, the uh, Child's Play is basically a, uh, anchored by four actors. Mm-hmm. We have the young Alan, uh, Alex Vincent in the role of Andy Barclay. Mm-hmm. You have 80s icon Catherine Hicks as Andy's mother, Karen. Loved you know, her. one of the good Karens. One loved of the good Karens. <laughs> loved her in Star Trek Four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's where I, you know, because I was watching this with my wife, and my wife's like, why do I recognize her? And she recognized her as the mom from Seventh Heaven. Oh, God, that's right. Right. Holy my crap. whole thing was, no, she was in Star Trek Four with the whales. Yeah. <laughs> um, we also have the 80s staple of Chris Sarandon as Detective Mike Norris. You know what? That man was perfectly cast. Yeah, uh, he he plays. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about how good he is yes, in this movie because I, I think we'll get there. I, I think he's the one who kind of sells the movie. I um, agree. And then, of course, we do have the man who would go on to be the face of the franchise, or more accurately, the voice of it, Brad Dourif. I'm gonna say this as clearly as possible. I love Brad. Durith. I have loved him ever since I saw Dune as a child. He mm-hmm. is fantastic in everything he's been in. Uh, he, I mean, he did a great stint in a few episodes of Star Trek Voyager as a mentally ill crew member. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything he's in, he's just great. Hell, he was in one of the Mist games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Brad Dourif, absolutely fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. his, his best horror role, as much as I love him as Chucky... His best role was in Exorcist 3. In, uh, oh. in horror film Exorcist 3, he is sub- sublime. I Okay, there's a lot of people that poo-poo the sequels of The Exorcist. I understand with Exorcist 2, but Exorcist 3 is great. I mean, George yeah. C. Scott. I'm sorry, it's George C. fucking Scott. George C. fucking Scott. I stand yeah. corrected. That's a great <laughs> movie, and I'd love yeah. to talk about that with you another time. Yeah, maybe we'll do it a, a an eventual series talking about the Exorcist. You know, maybe we should just do a horror movie podcast or something. I don't know, but for I, now let's... We'll talk about this <laughs> off air so we don't yes. bore the listeners. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's, that's how our conversations go. We'll start talking about something like, ooh, you know, here's another idea. <laughs> yes, that's but the that, problem that's with good. two creatives. 
Exactly. Um, we just end up creating more things. Yes. Okay, so we kind of touched on this before, but um, overall, your impressions of Child's Play. Okay, this movie was so much better than I was expecting it to be. And the thing is, I went into it this time with a bit of excitement, because I was like, I haven't seen this since I was, I was a kid. I've been mm -hmm. wanting to know, how's this going to be for me as an adult? And it was great. Now, speaking as a creator, and I have a fantastic book on screenwriting, and it is not Save the Cat. Let me <laughs> say that. <laughs> Every movie these days follows the formula of Save the Cat, where if you've read the book, you're going, okay, they're at this beat, they're at this beat, they're at this beat. Mm -hmm. Lou Hunter's Screenwriting 434 is an old-school tour de force on how to write a screenplay. And there's a story he tells that kind of relates to Child's Play a little bit. This guy wrote an animated film about a guy and a computerized box. And they became friends and, like stood up against a man and freed all the other boxes that were be being made and everybody that read this script loved it. It's full of pathos. And then mm -hmm. he took it to his uh, producer friend of his and he read the script and he was like, well, what do you think? And he said, there's no way this is going to fucking work. Mm -hmm. He said, why? He was getting pissed and the guy looked at him and he said, the, I guess it's the first time anybody said the obvious who wants to watch a box? <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. So, and here's the thing. If this were a book, if Child's Play were a book written by Stephen King or even by the screenwriter, it would be an amazing fucking book. Like, it would mm. be terrifying reading about this doll. And it is still a scary film, but there is a certain part of your brain that goes... That's a doll. Right. And you keep um, having to, like, tell that guy to be quiet. We'll talk about this when the movie's over. Right. Well, and even then, even though you know that this is just a doll and there's just... They, they could kick it down the hall, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you put a laundry basket on top of it and you're done. <laughs> <laughs> but but also, there, there are these moments in the film where it kind of plays with those expectations and... It presents the the doll in such a way that like it crosses into that uncanny valley, and oh. that's where a lot of the disturbance comes from. Tell me about it. Like, okay, I've read about the original script for Child's Play. The original idea was that Andy was the killer. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you'd heard about this. I, I had heard about it. Yeah. Okay, and they decided they're gonna make the doll the actual killer, turn it into a whole supernatural thing. Which great because I'm sure. They had one of those producer moments where he looked at the script and said, I, this is good, but you can't have a kid going around killing people. <laughs> so I get that. And they made the movie as is, and it's great. But mm -hmm. like, I don't know. I agree with you. There's parts where it does really enter the uncanny valley, like the horror. Uh, okay. Do you remember when he first bit his mom's arm? Yeah. The look on that thing's face mm -hmm. was and then, nightmare then, fuel. And then the moment where she drops him on the ground and then you see him roll under the couch. Oh, the it, combat roll. Yeah, and you, you it, at one part you're thinking like, okay, well, just the doll rolled for some reason. But then you think about, like, that's not a natural roll. No, that's such a thing. No, dolls don't, don't stop, drop, and roll. 
and you know a, a couple other moments in the film because you know the way that they they created the doll for the film is they use a combination of animatronics they would put children in chucky suits uh-huh and they would use force perspective sets so there are these moments where you have the doll moving around very fluidly in the background uh-huh um it, which freaks me the hell out but, oh god um, yes like my favorite bit is when he comes down the chimney and kicks the screen oh, away from yeah. the chimney. It's just that fluidity of motion. Um, so you 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 recognize he's a doll because you have all these scenes with the very stiff, jerky, robotic movements of a toy doll. But then you have those moments where that artifice of the character just kind of drops, and you see that motion, that smooth motion that should not exist, and that's what freaks you out about. Yeah, it. like I'm watching the movie and. My roommate is saying something about the fact that, you know, oh, it, it looks goofy, but I mean, that's the best they could do. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? First off, how else were they going to do it? Secondly, that's terrifying. Like, and I want to bring up the kid that plays Andy real quick. Oh, my about God. About yes. this. Because. Yeah. All right. The scene where he's in the cell, which the horror of being a six year old child kept in a cell. Yeah. And he looks out the window, and Chucky's climbing the fire escape mm-hmm. is a nightmare. Yeah, and then just the way that uh, little Alex Vincent is able to kind of, like, sell the terror of it. Like, one thing I want to talk about is just how Andy might be the most cursed protagonist in any film oh series I have ever seen. The way he's crying yeah. at the door when the doctor, who looks so much like uh, Gary Busey, walks away... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I was sold, man. That kid was, like, real tears. I was like, holy shit, this kid is fucking amazing. And, and you know, just the, the fact that the character, this child, is doing everything right. Uh-huh. That he is being blamed and that people hate him for what's going on when it is not his fault. Man. It's, it's, it's very... It, it, it's almost like misery porn in a lot of ways. Like, you feel really, <laughs> really bad watching it. I know, because that kid but, is like, yeah. he is the whole reason they eventually had Mr. Snuffleupagus be a real character on Sesame Street. Because Big Bird <laughs> kept going, no, he's real! Sure he is, Big Bird. Yeah, yeah, uh, I mean, um, you know, that that's the thing. Like, Alex Vincent, you know, for for such a small kid... I mean, he's he really sells the first two films, and like uh, you know, obviously yeah. he's a kid, and there there's some moments where the acting is kind of like, okay, well, it's a kid acting, like um, yeah, like the well, when they fireplace. when they have yeah, and then he says, "This is the end, friend." I like I love that. It's so cheesy. It's but I it's, absolutely love it. I can hear uh, Tom Holland saying, "No, no, 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 do it with spite." Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and, and the the reading is very much like a child reading that line yeah yeah it's not there's no kind of actual no kid would say that but the other thing is you totally well at least for me i totally love it i think it's earned and that's it's one of those things where yeah all the goofy shit that the movie does it still works well i mean it's goofy shit on top of some other goofy shit so i'm fine with it Mm mm-hmm you know, it's not a problem for... Well, it is a problem, but I mean, it's not like something that takes me out of the movie. I'm like, well, I bought the rest of it. You know, mm-hmm. so why would I Why would I reject this? But, you know, I, I think part of the reason the movie works so well, at least for me as someone who 
who writes stories is just how everybody involved seemed to like really buy into it and they didn't like come off it half-assed when they were performing no, their characters totally this was like bob hawk bob hoskins and roger rabbit levels of buying into the film mm-hmm. like because if he hadn't reacted to roger rabbit you wouldn't buy that there's a cartoon rabbit there if they hadn't taken this as seriously as they're, as they're taking it in the film mm-hmm. i would not have enjoyed i would not have enjoyed this film nearly as much yeah, all the all the central performances and even some of the uh even some of the supporting characters, it's just it's they they make it feel real. They take what is distinctly unreal and uh-huh. they treat it as real and it totally works. Oh, you want to talk about real? Let me tell you about the scene that made me have to pause the movie and start laughing. Mm-hmm. Okay, you remember she goes looking for the peddler, which they use the term peddler and I'm like that hasn't actually been a thing in like 100 years, so wow. You're right, it was kind of a weird... fucking Chicago. Yeah. So she goes looking for the peddler that sold her Chucky, and she finds him in what I can only describe as Hobo Village. <laughs> and, uh... So there, she's there, One she the finds him, really and, like, he gets grabby, just, you mm-hmm. know? And I'm like, okay, this is a so whole much other, other nightmare there. there's, uh, that this guy that was vaguely um, friendly and, you know, know on hard times, around, and, like, no, just old stuff to live, is like, uh-huh, give there's me a horror related and, to yeah. how we treat the mentally And then the cop Ill. shows yeah. up, and grabs a guy, There's just so much him in the movie, and that's why I think this movie works very well, it's still dealing with very timeless issues. Yeah, and one of the things that really real. got me about Shit, this he's a cop! The part where, uh, <laughs> so it makes you wonder what the cops do in that alley. The it's freaking uh, train here going in Chicago a problem for a lot <laughs> going to find anybody Chucky's partner the, uh, that he said he was going to kill. And it's like, he gets off and he's in the hobo village and I'm like, this is the most dangerous thing they could do with this kid. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, there's so much going on in this movie that's just super, super freaking scary. And yeah, it doesn't even have anything to do with the doll at times. No, and I mean, like, I grew up in the '80s back when like child abduction was like a major fear. Mm-hmm. So like that part, I mean, they knew what they were doing. It's like, yeah, let's scare the folks. Right. Um. So. I, I want to talk to you a little bit about like how the story is told. Like. Absolutely. What do you think the movie does really well? I'm going to be honest, man. There's a, Now, I feel like some of the characters at first are like like his aunt is is kind mm-hmm. of a a broad stroke character. You know, she's one of those right. dad dad and then gets chucked out the window kind of characters. But like Yeah, I, well, I mean, she does serve her purpose in that regard. Yeah, but I think they really put a lot of work into the characters like his mom and Andy and the detective. And there's like a lot going on there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I especially like that there's no romantic relationship between the detective and mom. Yeah, no, I kept expecting it because we've been trained to expect it and it wasn't there. And I was really, really happy about it. Yeah, like any closeness and affection we see between them, it's just like, you know, because they are surviving uh-huh. something, like, terrifying. Yeah. Which, which was a breath of fresh air for me, because that's one of those tropes that I get tired of, is like, you know, somehow the characters end up falling in love. I don't think that... No. Yeah. 
Yeah, every movie doesn't need that. And also, here's something else that I love. The partner that didn't believe in Chucky. And then the damn body mm-hmm. crawls out of the vent and starts strangling him. Mm-hmm. It's like, do you believe me now? Yeah, but who's going to believe me? Yeah, and you just get the sense that like, while Chucky may be gone, there, um, there's... like the, the, the legacy and the impact of this is going to continue on. And it, it does... You know, outside of Chucky coming back in the sequel, mm-hmm. spoiler alert, um, the Andy <laughs> is still grappling with the legacy of this issue. Yeah. Throughout the films. Yeah, and I love that. I love the idea that this is like their lasting repercussions from this. Everything's not a happy ending. That's part of why I like how... Um, um, the series, how Don Mancini's kind of taking the series from here, because Andy does come back as an adult. I'll just let you th- know that now. I've heard he's in the later movies, and I love yeah. that they have got this guy back. It's the same actor, yeah. too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, they only changed the actor for Child's Play 3. Which, okay, great. That's fantastic. Yeah. I love that uh, they've brought the original actor back. That's just a really great way to handle it. Right. So, you know, um... Another question regarding the writing. How do you feel about the pacing of the film? Okay, a lot of older movies, when you go back and watch them, like Star Wars, Superman, more specifically Jaws. Now, Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, Jaws is a fantastic movie, but by today's standards, it is slow as hell. (laughs) I can't say that about Child's Play. It's almost a modern pacing. Yeah, it's a very breezy movie. Like, it is. It, it's you don't have any like dull moments. It's just it it moves quick. It feels very modern in that sense. I've got a really good way to tell how engaging engaging a movie is and how uh how the pacing is going. Have I looked at my watch recently? You know, that's perfectly fair. Am I thinking about going to take a piss? <laughs> Am I worried that I'm going to have to piss in a Coke cup at the theater? That kind of mm-hmm. thing. And Child's Play, I was just sitting here the whole time. I didn't have to pause to go do anything because I was just engrossed. I was there. There was no downtime in the movie. It just it was paced really well for a 1998 or 1988 film. Well, and I like that you brought up because the movie does kind of follow the Jaws school of monsters. It because you don't really get a whole lot of glimpses of Chucky doing his thing right away. It tends to be subtle. Oh yeah, no, there's that I'm gonna go ahead and guess that these guys had watched the Evil Dead at some point because the POV shots really reminded me of the Evil Dead coming to get people. Well, and I, I like how the POV shots can be used in that sense of being, uh, at least early on, as ambiguous as to whether it's Chucky or Andy. Yes. Yes. I the, love yeah, that. Yeah. It's a little bit of a holdover from that like initial idea, uh, initial idea of Andy being the killer. Which is great. I love that. You have the ambiguity in there. I mean, that's like... And I, th- I feel like trailers are responsible for ruining a lot of things. Like... Mm-hmm. If you take your mind out of the hype with Terminator 2, if you had never seen the trailer for Terminator 2, but you had seen the original Terminator, Mm -hmm. there is nothing in that movie to tell you Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to turn out to be the good guy until it Mm -hmm. happens. 
But yeah. if you saw the trailer, fucking ruined. Mm-hmm. Oh, and one one of the things I like about this movie is that like nothing overstays its welcome. The mm-hmm. ambiguity as to whether Andy is the killer or not. Yeah. They use it just long enough to sow that seed of doubt and then they blow past it. Yeah. They they obscure Chucky Chucky being like directly moving around mm-hmm. until they don't need to anymore. And you know, even even the the car the car scene with Detective Norris. Oh god, um, yes. It it lasts just long <laughs> enough. Yeah, that could have gone like if this were a modern movie by like your modern masturbatory I am an artist type director. That movie mm-hmm. would have been like ten minutes. That that scene would have been like ten minutes, and you'd be like, "Can we? Can somebody die or throw a pie or something?" Right, and they spend just enough time mm-hmm. in the mental hospital. Exactly, they spend just enough time in John's house of voodoo. You can know we, what I mean? Can they, we talk about the scene where Chucky's standing on the counter for a second? Oh yes, yes. That is do. okay. I don't give a shit what anybody says about the effects in that movie for the rest of my life. That I that scene sold it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm watching it, and there's a part of me that just goes, Huh, that doll's really good at acting. For a second. I, thi- <laughs> I, think, that, I think that was one of those forced perspective shots. Was it? Because the motion of him kind of getting down and sitting on the counter. On the yeah, counter, that part. It, it seemed too smooth to be animatronic, but then again, I'm not sure. And I think that's what I think that's a credit to this movie. Oh God, the yeah. Movie was only the movie was only about thirteen million dollars to make, and like they got their money's worth out of the, um, the Man, puppetry they, work. They really squeezed some amazing stuff out of that thirteen million dollars for that movie. But but yeah, that, that scene, and it's all those little moments of fluidity that are like, mm-hmm. that, that are disturbing, but then it's also like even the most subtle effects, like how Chucky's eyes will just kind of like scan. You know, the doll is just yeah. sitting there, and then his eyes will scan between points. Yeah, just turn to the TV, turn back to Andy, that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, so like, okay, so you have this pantheon of slasher villains. You have right. Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers... Do you think that Chucky deserves to be up there with them? Oh, God, yes. Here's the thing. Michael Myers, when you get out of, like, the whole any kind of paranormal stuff with it, it's it's a serial killer film. You know? But Jason Voorhees, it's always, like, brought back by electricity, or he's a mutant in space or something. (laughs) Freddy is, like, I don't, depending on which version of the movies you want to go with, he's either a child killer or a pedophile. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Chucky should be up there, man. Chucky deserves to be with him because, goddamn, I mean, like, as the series goes on, it's like, okay, who's, th- this doll line ended. Who's going to not see that doll and go, something's wrong with that motherfucker? Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah. in that first one, this is like if your Cabbage Patch Kid came to life. I firmly believe the screenwriters saw a commercial for my buddy mm-hmm. and just said, man, fuck that thing. Uh, okay, so you mentioned the my buddy doll, so I have to get into my story. Oh, please do. <laughs> yes, so, God, please, yes. So, um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier this episode how my parents would like let me watch whatever horror movies I wanted. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So, as a kid, Child's Play was an absolute favorite movie of mine. And I'm talking, like, when I'm, like, <laughs> five or six years old. Is that what's wrong with you, David? Yeah, that explains okay. a lot about me. But, um, 
So, so the reason why this is funny and the reason why the My Buddy doll comes up is that my parents bought me one of those. Oh, joy. Now, imagine their surprise when they come out into the living room. I have Child's Play on, I have the My Buddy doll on the ground, and I am sitting there on my knees with my head on the forehead of the doll in my little six-year-old voice saying, Ah, do a dembula. Give me the power, I beg of you. Holy that, shit. Yeah, they, they it's definitely a very fond memory of theirs um and kind of like a like a what is wrong with this child um, uh, <laughs> they walked in on me trying to do the soul transference ritual into my my buddy doll look i'm just gonna say this man i'm glad you had your parents because if it was me i would have shot you fucking dead <laughs> <laughs> if i came in and my kid was trying to transfer his soul into a doll i don't know what i'd do yeah, and it's it's just one of those things like um you know, everybody has their gateway to horror, but I think sure. for me it was, I think it was child's play because like I saw I... that as a kid, it didn't freak like the only horror movie that ever scared me, like like cuz obviously like you watch a horror movie you get scared and that sort of thing. But yeah. the only one that I ever really had like a severe reaction to was Warwick Davis and Leprechaun. The Leprechaun. Right. Any other horror movie, you know, my dad would let me watch Friday the 13th. I'd watch Nightmare on Elm Street. I'd watch Halloween. But for some reason, that fucking Leprechaun movie, that was the one that, like, freaked me out as a kid. I don't know why. Okay. Well, there was, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. It's something about, and I'm not saying, like, dwarfism terrifies me. I don't want that to be like a thing that gets out there don't you fucking dare isolate that audio um <laughs> but i get that because like leprechaun kind of scared me uh there was always something vaguely unsettling about the ewoks <laughs> looking like dancing teddy bears I, I think it's because you know that they're not real but the way yeah. that they're moving around is very realistic well, there was a show on ABC when I was a kid, and I'm probably the only living fucking person that remembers this shit. There was a show called Star Child. God, that about, sounds so familiar. About this little thing that, like, it was, it was, a, it was, it was obviously a little person in a suit, but it had like this Trumpy head. In that it had like this <laughs> high dome pointed head wearing like a onesie. And for some reason, as like a four year old, it terrified me. Hmm. And I don't know why that is. And I guess that was a holdover because I think on some level, yeah, Chucky did scare me. And that's part of why I had the cynical attitude. I was like, doll looks fucking fake. You know? It's mm -hmm. like, I just, I don't want to admit that there's a part of me that is terrified of the idea. And I love toys mm -hmm. and robots as yeah. a kid. So, like, the idea of a toy robot coming to life and trying to kill me or my parents is a nightmare. Well, yeah, and, I, you know, that's the other thing about, like, toys. Toys represent the innocence of childhood, but there are a lot of movies about killer toys. Oh, Yeah. You know, I, I think Chucky is probably, like, one of the best ones, but you've got, like, the Puppet Master series. Oh, um, yeah, that's... Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't get me wrong, I love Puppet Master. It's not, it's not great, but I love it. But um, but just uh -huh. something about, like, the idea of that killer toy, that that thing that's supposed to represent innocence that becomes something horrific. Hell, Small Soldiers was kind of terrifying in a way. 
Well, yeah, you know, and that's the thing, you know, uh, the one thing that I always thought about was having a podcast where it's like, is this horror where I would present like a film and then we'd have like a discussion <laughs> about like, is yeah. it horrific in a way? And like small it's, soldiers definitely could fit there. It's like a thematic version of does it blend? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> does it genre? <laughs> does, does it genre? Just because it's by Joe Dante, does that make it comedy horror? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I kind of like that idea. Maybe we should do that as a show, too. Yeah, I mean, we've got like three or four shows now, so... Okay, great. <laughs> well, we'll um, never have to go to work again. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so let's... There's something you brought up about the name Charles Lee Ray that I wanted you to bring up on the show. Because mm-hmm. I find this fascinating. Right. So, um, the... the the Chucky doll, um, for those of you who have not seen the movie at this point, I think you've been spoiled on everything. But, sure. Um, the, the movie involves a mortally wounded serial killer named Charles Lee Ray who transfers his soul into the body, the, the toy body of a good guy doll. And so... And, and he, I'm just going to say, by the end of the movie where the guy says, it's becoming human, and mm-hmm. I'm like, it's a meat doll. And that yeah. is the scariest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, that's the other great part of the horror of all this, is that it becomes a body horror thing, because now yeah. his, this doll is becoming like a living thing. My cotton is meat, and my meat bleeds. Yeah, like when... It, <laughs> exactly. So, like, when he gets shot or hit or anything like that, that's flesh, man. That's flesh and yeah. blood. It's great. That's horrible. Right. But yeah, as you were saying about the about the, the character, Charlie Lee Ray. Yeah, so Charles Lee Ray... Uh, there's, it's definitely a reference to three people who, you know, nerds like us might be familiar with. Obviously, oh, Charles yeah. Manson, mm-hmm. Lee Harvey Oswald, and mm-hmm. James Earl Ray. <clears throat> but... Man, you gotta, yeah. if you gotta give him credit for having, like, three of the worst. Well, you know, and that's the other thing is, like, again, with all serial killers, they have three first names. Yeah. Right? Ricky, yeah, I mean, just throw in Ricky Ray Rector and you're good to go. Right, so, like, just the character of Chucky being the serial killer Charles Lee Ray, like, it, it's a great name for a serial killer. It and, really is. Yeah. And then, I guess my question for you is, um, we've talked a little bit about how good Brad Dorif is. Oh, yeah. I, I want to, I really want to dig into, like, why Brad Dorif as Chucky works so well. I don't know. You know, it's kind of hard to say, but I think it's a fact that, like, even as, you know, even being a voice actor, Mm -hmm. providing the voice for the doll, he doesn't half-ass it like some people. He is still giving 110% as that character, you know? Mm -hmm. He is still just like, like, okay, when they throw him in the fireplace and he's just screaming inarticulate oh, noises that 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 noise lives rent free in my fucking head man <laughs> like i i, I periodically hear that in my now. head yeah i periodically yeah. hear that in my head i'm just like it's such a satisfying sound given everything that happens in the fucking movie oh god yeah i mean like do you remember the wild thornberries Mm-hmm. Yeah, he sounds like an evil version of Donnie from the Wild Thornberries <laughs> when they throw him in the fireplace. <laughs> Did they throw him in the fireplace on the show? Donnie? No, yeah. no. I mean, I mean, Chucky. <laughs> God, no. Holy crap, man! That that's what the like hell this... kind of that? I didn't. I never saw that. Uh, child, that uh, Rugrats crossover. I guess. 
Oh man. But um, no, no, you're totally right. This like, like he sells the hell out of it. And it is just inhuman the noises he's making. Yeah, and then his his voice and the kind of like voice he chooses for Chucky, you know, total asshole. But yeah, know, but it's the type of like asshole that you love in a weird way. Well, it's the it's the asshole you enjoy to get enjoy seeing get killed at the end of the movie, right? Yeah, like, I think that's. Ooh, I can't wait for this guy to get it. Oh, and then the way they um, they torture that doll, which is fantastic. Like one one of my favorite bits in the movie. Like whenever he gets like the shit kicked out of him, like they stab him, they burn uh-huh. him, that sort of thing. That's fun. But my favorite bits are when their people are just picking up the doll and they bump into the corner of a door with him. Oh, at the beginning, yeah, and yeah. like the whole time I'm watching it, I'm just saying under my voice, it's like, "Fuck, you're dead." Fuck, you're dead. <laughs> yeah, Fuck, just, you fucking bitch! You, yeah. you just imagine him, like, swearing under his breath, just like, you know, <laughs> it, it hits the wall or hits a desk. Yeah. He's like, you motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, as soon as she picks him up by the arm and the arm is kind of, like, dislocated and the head's hitting the walls and stuff, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, this bitch is going to die in the next five minutes. And Gage is it, like, it, it's it, that it, obvious? And I'm like, uh, yeah. You know, and that's that's something that I love is like because you you know at this point like the doll is a living entity, but just to <laughs> see him kind of get like manhandled like that and like yeah. thrown into stuff, it's just it it, it adds a little bit to it. But, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something, man. Do you know what the single most horrifying visage in that movie is? What the burned Chucky coming down the hallway? Oh yes, no that After that Andy. is yeah. Holy shit, dude. Yeah, that um, that Me, moment, I, I literally started screaming when that happened because I was like, "Okay, well, if he had looked like this the rest of the film series, uh, I'd stop right here." Yeah, uh, it's just it's and the cool thing is like that whole scene with him walking there, it's animatronic and it works so well because it it makes him look like a broken doll. Yes, absolutely, in like the best fucking way possible. Yeah, no, I've. I have got to hand it to Tom Holland and the screenwriters on this one. They did an amazing job on this first movie, and I'm sure they didn't think they'd get a sec. Well, okay, I say that, but I'm sure they thought maybe we'll get a sequel. But if we don't, at least we put out like the best thing we could. Yeah, and you know, a lot of credit goes to like the team that brought Chucky to life because you know some Absolutely. of the some of the puppets required like nine different operators. Jesus, it, it's very impressive. Um, one, one thing, uh, I want to talk about is we, we talk about how like important Brad Dorif is to the role. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was intended to be Chucky from the start. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing was though, he almost wasn't. I can't believe that. Yeah. It, it's weird to think about, but, uh, there was a bit of a schedule conflict with, uh, a movie he was making called Spontaneous Combustion. Oh God. So they needed to find someone to fill in and do the voice of Chucky. Can you guess who that person was? Look, if it's not Mark Hamill, I don't know what to say. Okay, it was not Mark Hamill. It was Jessica Walter. Wait, who? Mallory Archer. The mom from Arrested Development, yeah. What the shit? Yeah, uh, so number one, uh, you know... Jessica Walter, fantastic actress. Yeah, no, no offense to her. Rest in peace, she, she was a legend. Yeah. But um, they actually shot the movie, and in the first cut, it was Jessica Walter doing the voice of Chucky. Holy crap. 
And part of the reason they did that was um, they they were looking at like specifically the Exorcist, how uh, Mercedes uh-huh. McCambridge did the voice of Pazuzu. Oh God, yeah. And you know, apparently from I not see I've not seen the Jessica Walter footage of Child's Play, but uh-huh. apparently she was quite good. But oh yeah, I, I can imagine she wasn't quite Brad Dorif. I'm sure it was much more of a cutesy kind of a voice. Like something you'd expect to come out of a children's doll, like what was on the, uh, like on the TV the commercial. commercial. Yeah. yeah. Which, yeah. A, a quick aside, the fucking person in the suit, mm-hmm. uh, in that commercial, the big, uh, good guy suit. Yeah. Fuck that thing. Well, you know, and that's, that's the other thing I like about this movie is that attention to detail in the world building. You know, down yeah. to the packaging of the doll, down to the commercial, because, you know, I, I saw ads like that when I was a kid. Oh, we all did. You know, and yeah. they're playing with that very 80s theme about, like, you know, the, the very 80s nature of, like, cartoons just being a vehicle for the ad, uh, the advertising of toys and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, it immediately, instead of, like, okay, we talk about, like, you know, my buddy, but my buddy didn't talk. This kind of reminded me of Teddy Ruxpin. Yeah, and, you know, I had a Teddy Ruxpin, too. Oh, I'm um, sorry. I, I you know I, I I could handle I could handle Teddy. What I could not handle was my two XL. But I'm gonna save that for when we do our Halloween episode of Supernatural Selection. Yeah, we're gonna get into that. We've yeah. we've got a good episode of that coming. But yeah, but, no, the movie was so much better than I thought it was gonna be, dude. Now we we've both we I think we could both agree that it's it's a fun movie. There's a lot to enjoy in it. Are there any issues that you have with the movie? You know, as someone who writes. Anything that stands out that you feel like wasn't done well enough or could have been done better? Do you it's, have any... it's not necessarily a complaint. It feels like an 80s horror movie. And I know that's what they're trying to do. I'm just saying, like, you know, like uh, the doll running around the apartment at the beginning before she gets shot out the window by an air cannon. Mm. Uh, like, you know, it feels like an 80s horror movie. Right. Like, um, I'm, it's, the, the POV shots, I'm expecting... Shh, shh, shh. Right. It, it is definitely a product of its time, but... As, it is. For being a product of its time, it's a damn good representation of what it is at that time. It is. And I can honestly say, uh, I don't really have a problem. I will say that their boss, Mr. Chriswell, is obviously a reference to Plan 9 from Outer Space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that guy I, I is, think... Definitely, that was definitely. Yeah, I, I, it, I mean, his name was Chriswell. He is kind of effeminate. He is dressed to the nines. He had the ring. I'm sitting here going, yeah, no, they knew what they were doing. You, you also have that kind of like little snappy one-liner tête-à-tête between him and the ladies and everything like that. Yeah, um, it's. I, I don't have a complaint about this movie, and it's very rare I say that. Well, okay, so here, here's what I'm going to broach because. I do have one issue with the movie, and that's the voodoo aspect of it. Okay, alright, yeah, no, that's fair, that's fair, it's definitely problematic in today's world. Yeah, um, and I I think that's kind of why they get away from it in the later films, because they they they? set up a different, yeah, they do set up a different way for, it's less like voodoo oriented, it feels a little more like... for lack of a better term, non non denominational. <laughs> but uh, um, Lovecraftian, how's that? Yeah, I, I think that might be a better fit. But yeah, like it, it kind of gets away from 
that, but you know, it, it's part of the problem for me. I, okay, I don't know if I would call it Orientalism, um, but like I, the moment, yeah. the moment where Karen goes into that uh, Charles Lee Ray's house. Oh, and the paintings. Yeah, you got the paintings on the wall and everything like that. It, it's that treating that kind of other culture as other that, like, I feel is a. If I were to do it today, I wouldn't do it the same way. Yeah, and can I also say those paintings, major big dick energy going on there. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, like, he has got, like, this massive honker. <laughs> that, that's true. But, you know, one of the. Like, I love the movie. The the movie like like it has scary moments. Nothing that frightens me per se. Nothing that like mm-hmm. I, I can't handle. But for some reason, it's that when she goes into that house, that's the one that gets me. I don't know, like the unease there. I think they did a good job of creating like an uneasy atmosphere. But I, I'm not sure why that one bothers me as much. And maybe it's because I'm recognizing that there's it something works. like culturally wrong with the, what they're depicting. Well, it works. And it kind of reminds me of when Clarice goes into Buffalo Bill's house in Silence of the Lambs. That is a very good point. He has the night vision goggles. Mm -hmm. It's just terrifying because she is in his environment and you don't know what's going to happen. Right, and then you have that, in that scene, you have Detective Norris just kind of creeping up on her, which is like a really dumb fucking idea. Fuck that guy. What if she had a revolver? Right. Um, So... It's Chicago. She should have had a revolver. Yeah, I'm surprised not everybody is armed. I'm surprised Andy I, wasn't carrying a gun. I swear to God, that kid. Like, <laughs> I've got my Red Rider automatic rifle. You know, it's, <laughs> well, it's just, yeah. One one thing, like one of the original ending ideas for the film was it was kind of, and I was thinking of this as I was watching like Child's Play 1, 2, and 3 is like, I want to see that mashup between Child's Play and Home Alone. And the original ending for Child's Play was going to be Andy uh, rigging up, like, a couple little traps here and there to take out Chucky. He had a... Oh, my I believe God. It was, I believe he melted him with a squirt gun full of Drano. Did they um, do so, didn't they put, like, traps in the remake? Yeah, you know, uh, it's been a while since I've seen the remake, so I don't quite remember. They may have recycled that idea, but that is a fantastic yeah. idea. It's It's Kevin from... Uh, it, yeah, no, it's Kevin versus the Dark Arts, basically. Yeah, I, I would love to see that. And then one of the other ones, which I see like where they got the idea in the movie, is at one point when Andy's going through his closet, going through his toy box for something to protect himself, he pulls out that, that RC car. In the uh, original ending to the film, there, Andy was going to put a knife on that car. Really? Yeah, and it, there was a whole, it, you know, I, I'm kind of glad they didn't go that route. But I would love to see a Chucky movie where it's like Chucky and a House of Horror run by a kid. Oh yeah, Chucky versus other toys. That that would toys be that super still maintain their goodness. That yeah. Oh man. But um. Yeah, the corrupt toy versus the uncorrupted. That would be really interesting, actually. But that was an approach that they had had with. Uh, the ending for this first one, and they ultimately didn't do that. But I think that's okay because I really really like how this one ended like that whole yeah. taking things back to the apartment at this point we know the layout of the place so we know mm-hmm. like the potential pitfalls of like the bathroom opening up into the hallway opening up into the bedroom the bedroom opening uh-huh. up into the hallway 
Yeah, like the shared bathroom from the Brady Bunch. Like, when he leaves the door and starts running to the other room, I'm like, oh shit, they got a conjoined bathroom. They're <laughs> fucked. Yeah, and I, then I think... he starts stabbing through the door at her. And I was yeah, like, and oh, that, that part where he gets her hand, that's... Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Cause like, and she doesn't even really pay attention until after the danger's gone. She's like, oh shit, I've been cut. Mm-hmm. There's so many little things like she's got the adrenaline going and she doesn't realize she, she knows she's been hurt but like she can't stop to think about it right now because her life's in danger as soon as there's a moment's respite she's like fuck my hand mm-hmm. it's, it's the little attentions to detail like that that really yeah. elevate the movie above your normal schlock like um I, shit i can't even think of one there's so many 80s horror movies that didn't put that much thought into it mm-hmm. yeah and like uh, you know Child's Play is an unbelievable movie. Oh, Absolutely unbelievable, but you're able to suspend that disbelief and still, like, buy into what they're selling, and that's that's masterful to me. It really is. Um, I did not expect to get as uh, knee-deep into it as I did. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did not expect to buy into it as much as I did. I did not expect to fucking cheer when... They shot him in the heart and blood shot out the back of that doll. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just so many things that I didn't expect to enjoy about it. Um, man, when they blew up that crack house. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, there, there's a lot of large scale destruction in that movie, too, which like, let, let's talk about that car chase or that, that oh, car scene. Jesus. And then the part where he's stabbing the knife through the seat as Mike oh, is my- trying to like steer through the. And they the didn't. City. They didn't try to do it all slick. Where like he moves up at just the right time. It's like it's just sheer luck that mm-hmm. his balls didn't get stabbed mm-hmm. through those corduroy pants. I mean, like, and, and they, then it ends with a really well done crash. But then the horror still continues because Mike is stuck in that upside down car, and he got this doll like running around and giggling around the car. <laughs> I you know. see these little these little feet just walking, you like just running. You can't hurt me, Mikey. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Holy just, shit! Oh my god, yeah. So I, I think we're getting pretty close to the end here. I think yeah. we've talked a lot, but just as as a writer, would this be a movie you would recommend people kind of pick up to see, like the craft of storytelling? Yes, actually, I would. I mean, like it's got some well worn tropes but i mean holy shit does it use them well it does Mm -hmm. so much and it's also written in a way where it's like conscious of its budget Mm -hmm. it's also funny as shit it is and uh like one of the things okay oh god when the two old people are in the elevator for instance (laughs) talking about funny i know what you're gonna talk about and the woman goes what an ugly doll. <laughs> the elevator goes up and you just hear Chucky go, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. That is, that is fucking great. You know, because a lot of horror movies try to put in, like, comedy because you kind of need that natural reprieve that comes from the comedy. Uh-huh. But, like, just the ridiculousness of this doll just, like, as he's going up the elevator, fuck you, lady. That just... Yeah. It lands so well. And it, it does. Like, a lot of that is because of Brad Dorif, obviously. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, like, he's got such range as an actor. And mm-hmm. I could probably go on for another ten minutes talking about how much I enjoy Brad Dorif and uh, keep going on about how surprised I was by this movie, but I'm not. 
Uh, all I'm going to say is that if you want to know how to make an effective horror movie with a ridiculous premise and still have it come off as scary, you could do so much worse than watch Child's Play. Mm. So are you going to watch some of the other movies? You're goddamn right I am. Okay, and then I will probably have you back for a couple of more episodes. But Please Kevin, do. Kevin, I want to thank you for being with me on this first one. Well, I think we had a really good conversation about this. I agree, and I want to thank you for letting me be on, because it, it has been a delight to go back and watch this movie with fresh adult eyes and go, this is not nearly as bad as you think. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. always good to be wrong. <laughs> you know, and that that's that's part of being an adult is recognizing, oh, sometimes I'm wrong about things. Yeah. So, uh, well, and it's nice that, like, you you ended up coming out of this as a, a convert to what I'm going to call the cult of Chucky. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with some of my other guests. But uh, once again, I just want to thank you for being on. Uh, I'll make sure to kind of plug your stuff at the uh, in the show notes. Uh, thank unless you, my you wanna, good sir. If you uh, want to like plug what you have right now, that'd be great. Yeah, I'm just going to say, if you want to find anything I'm doing uh, currently, you know, my webcomics are at uh, everywhencomics.com, uh, currently not updating, but if you want to check out the podcast where I truly shine, you can check out supernatpod.rocks. Nice. Yeah. All right. And uh, with that, I think we're going to go ahead and close up. Uh, so everybody who's been listening, thank you. Uh, we're going to be tackling Child's Play 2 next, so uh, keep it creepy, Chucky fans. You have been listening to Kids' Stuff, a Chucky podcast, a Haunted MTL original podcast. Our theme is Pop Goes the Weasel by Kevin McLeod. You can find more of Kevin McLeod's music at incompetech.filmmusic.io. If you want to find out more about me, the podcaster, you can just go to hpkomics.com, hpcomics.com, or you can find me on the socials at hpkomic. For more great horror content, do not forget to visit hauntedmtl.com. <laughs>